Hey, this is Steve with Life Worth Living. Today we're going to be looking at the fact that God is holy. I tell you what, the term holiness has a lot of different connotations and some of them are negative. But if we truly begin to understand God's holiness and what it means to us, you can get really excited about the fact that God is holy. Today we're going to find out, for instance, that the fact that God is holy is what triggers his forgiveness of our sins, of our misdeeds, of our regrets. Uh, His holiness is what causes him to listen to us and answer our prayers. So I'm excited for us to learn today to find out more about God's holiness and what it means to us. And we're going to be talking about growing in holiness, growing in holiness. Um, I tell you what, whenever we talk about holiness, all kinds of different definitions come into our mind, different ideas, different pictures. And what I'd like to do is kind of level set what holiness is and how it applies to us, what it means that God is holy. So today, all we're going to do is we're going to talk about God's holiness to try our best to understand what it means that God's holy and how that affects us. All right. So let's just start right into this. Uh, Let me read you a Psalm, Psalm 99. And if you don't get texts throughout the week and you would like to get a text, uh, it's a very, very short text and it'll tell you, it'll give you some ideas of where to read in the Bible. Do you ever, do you ever wonder you wake up and you say, I know I need to read my Bible and I don't even know where to start. All right. These texts go out every morning at seven o'clock and it'll give you a clue, not a clue, an idea of where you can read your Bible. So if you don't get those, let me know. And we'll get you set up. But where one of those texts is going to ask you. In fact, tomorrow morning at 7 a.m., you're going to get a text that says, read Psalms 99. Read Psalms 99. And the good news is these, these chapters are kind of short. If you're not a big reader, hey, you can read it fairly quickly and still get a lot of good things out of it. But let me read through it, considering this, that God is holy. God is holy. Here goes, the Lord reigns, let all the nations tremble. What does it mean that God is holy? He reigns. What does it mean to reign? He rules. He's in charge. He hasn't been voted in as president. He's been the king of kings forever, the Lord of lords forever. He reigns. That's what it means for God to be holy. Or an aspect of his holiness, I should say. He sits enthroned between the cherubim. You say, well, what's a cherubim? Well, it's a very special angel, apparently. And he sits enthroned between two huge cherubim. He's holy. He's enthroned. Let the earth shake. God's holiness is a real deal. Let the earth shake. Great is the Lord in Zion. Well, you say, what's Zion? Well, it's the the holy Jerusalem to come, the capital of the heavenly realm, if you will. Great is the Lord. God is big. God is huge. God is bigger than anything you could ever imagine or dream up. He's holy. He's exalted over all the nations. What? What? 
He's bigger than Russia who's attacking Ukraine? Yes, he's bigger than Russia. What? He's bigger than the sovereign United States or the sovereign China, China, you know, Republic of China? He's bigger? Yes, he's bigger than every nation out there. God is holy. Let them praise your great and awesome name. Well, what's so great about a name? Let me tell you what. At the name of Jesus, every tongue is going to confess. Every knee is going to bow. Why? Because God is holy. In fact, it says it right here three or four times throughout this chapter. He is holy. Verse 4, the king is mighty. Oh, so whenever you talk about holiness, it also has to do with the power of God, the might of God. He loves justice. Are you kidding me? Are you telling me that to say God is holy also means that he is just, that he's equitable, that he won't discriminate against anybody? Yes, that's part of God's holiness, his justice. You establish equity. In other words, he has a non-discrimination policy that he gives to every soul, no matter your, the, way, the language that you speak, the color of your skin, whether you're short, tall, ugly, fat, skinny, or handsome. Non-discrimination. In Jacob, that's in, in the, the heavenly, uh, the, 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 the Christian nation, if you will, because we're citizens of heaven. All right. It says in Jacob, you have done what is just and what is right. Aren't you thankful that God's holiness means he is going to do the right things? He's not going to do the wrong things. He's going to do the right things. Exalt. So what does it mean for you and me that God is holy? We are to exalt the Lord our God. We're to say, all right, on, in my heart, in my life is a throne. Every one of you has a throne in your life, and you need to exalt God onto the throne of your heart and say, God is God. I'm not going to have any other gods in my life. Why? Because he's holy. Exalt the Lord your God. Worship at his footstool. You see, God is so huge that when we walk up to the throne of God, we're yay tall. We're small. And we worship at his footstool. What? He is holy, this psalm says, for the second time. Moses and Aaron, the priests uh, there in, in the early times of Israel, out in the desert. And Samuel, a prophet among them, is called by his name. They call on the Lord, and look at this. God answers them. You know why God answers your prayer? Because he's holy. That's why he answers your prayer. Aren't you glad that God is holy and therefore he answers your prayers? I sure am. He answers them. He spoke to them from the pillar of the cloud. And that dates back to the times when they were in the desert. The Israelites were in the desert and they were led by a pillar through the desert. And God spoke to them from that pillar. God speaks to you still today. You know why? Because he's holy. His holiness doesn't separate him from you. It brings you close to him. His holiness draws you close. It doesn't separate you from him. All right? He spoke to them. 
And they kept, the Israelites kept his statutes and the, de- the decrees that he gave them. And you see, when you realize God is holy, you'll start to obey him. You'll start to say it. My will doesn't matter as much. God's will means a lot more to me. You know why? Because God always does the best things for me. Therefore, I trust his will over my own rebellious will sometimes. He answered them and he forgave them. The Lord your God, you answered them and you forgave them. Why does God forgive you? Because he's holy. Isn't it wonderful? Don't you, aren't you starting to feel an certain appeal for God's holiness? His holiness forgives you. Isn't that wonderful? And through, and though he has punished their misdeeds. Now I want you to, this is a little clue for the future here. He punishes your misdeeds. He doesn't punish you. He punishes your misdeeds. Now hang tight. There's an ultimate judgment. Don't get me wrong. But listen, in this lifetime, as you cling to Jesus, he's just going to punish your misdeeds. He's not going to punish you. I'm going to show you in the Bible where this is very clear. What do we do then with God's holiness? We exalt the Lord our God. We worship at his holy mountain. Why? For the Lord our God is holy. Now, the Bible says that God is love. The Bible also tells us, God is holy, and that's what we're going to be studying the next couple of weeks here, next few weeks. Now, have you ever heard this, this, this phrase, a picture is worth a thousand words? Have you ever heard that before? I want to give you a few pictures today of God's holiness because that picture will burn an image on your mind, and you'll associate holiness with this picture that you have in your mind. So we're going to look in Revelations 4, verses 5 through 11. And here we see that the Apostle John, the disciple that Jesus loved, the the disciple, uh, one of the 12 disciples, he wrote the book of Revelations, the last book of the Bible. And he wrote of visions that he had had of God and God's holiness. And here's John with this vision. And it says, out from the throne, the throne of God, came flashes of lightning and sound, the sound of peals of thunder. Can you imagine being in a throne room so huge, so great, that there's room enough for flashes of lightning and thunder, peals of thunder? Have you ever been in a thunderstorm and just been in awe of the raw power of nature? Let me tell you what, when you come into contact with God, the raw power of his holiness will absolutely shake you to the core. He had this vision, and before the throne was something like a glass, a sea of glass, like crystal. And in the center and around the throne were four creatures. And what did these four creatures do? Day and night, they didn't cease to say, holy, holy, holy. Not just once, but over and over and over again, they were consumed and in awe of the holiness of God. They said, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God, the Almighty, who was and is and who is to come. In other words, who forevermore will be. 
And when the living creatures gave glory and honor and thanks to him who sits on the throne, to him who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders, we don't know much about them, but the 24 elders will fall down before him who sits on the throne and they will worship him who lives forever and ever and will cast their crowns before the throne saying, worthy are you. Our Lord, our God, to receive glory, honor, and power for you created all things, and because of you, they will ex- they exist and were created. It starts giving you a picture of the massive, mighty, awesome holiness of God. Now, notice that these guys were expressive. These guys, these angels, these creatures, they were expressive of their awe. And I want to tell you something, you and I, we need to be expressive of our worship to the Lord. Do you really think in heaven we're going to stand there solemnly, quietly, worshiping the Lord quietly in our minds when this throne of God is there and there's peals of of thunder and lightning? No, we are going to be very expressive in our worship of the Lord. And I want, I challenge you in worship as we worship the Lord through song, through prayer, through praise, to express your worship to the Lord. It might start out kind of like this. I'm going to put up my hand like this. You know why? Because I'm worried about what people think. You know what? Don't be worried about what people think. Worry about what God thinks. Stop thinking about what people think and start worrying about what God, your Savior, your Lord and Savior, the Holy One of Israel, is thinking about you. When you start thinking more about God, you're not going to care about what other people think. You're going to express your worship. Why do I raise my hand? I don't know. I'm acknowledging God. (laughs) That's why I raise my hands in church. That's why I raise my voice in church. Can God hear you when you whisper of prayer? Of course he can. Is God thrilled when you raise your voice so that everybody else can hear? He's really impressed with that. It shows your love. It shows your adoration. But God's holiness is real, and it demands our worship, our honor, and our awe of God. So the New Testament, as I've mentioned several times, was originally written in Greek. And so Greek is a very rich language, similar to Spanish being a very rich language. A a word in Spanish means a lot more than a word in English, I'll tell you that much. And Greek is no different. And so when we study these words, we can get a lot of rich meaning if we'll study the definitions of these words in the original Greek. And so what does holiness mean in Greek? Well, it means set apart. God is set apart. It means sacred. It means different. It means unlike, that God is unlike us. In some ways, we're similar to God, but in many ways, he's set apart. He's different. He's unlike. He's different from the world. He's distinguished, and he is distinct. He's set apart. And I like to think of it this way. God is outside of the universe. Therefore, He's not limited by anything in our universe. In fact, he's not limited by anything anywhere. But God is outside of our universe. There is no power that compares to the power of God. The devil and evil and the powers that come with all of that pale in comparison to the great power of God Almighty. 
unbelievable. He's outside of this universe. His majesty is greater than any majesty. His authority is greater than any authority you could ever try to compare it to. So in Leviticus 10.3, look at this. Moses said to Aaron, this is when they were out in the desert there, crossing from Egypt to the promised land. This is what the Lord spoke of when he said, among those who approach me, I will be proved holy. In the sight of all people, I will be honored. Now, there's two types of people here. There's the person who comes to God. And I'll tell you, if you're sitting here today, you're sitting here because there's a, at least a little part of you, maybe a big part of you that says, I want to get closer to God. That's why you're here. You're here because God has drawn you. And so you fall into this first, first category of those who approach me, I will be proved as holy. As you get closer to God, you realize more and more how holy God is, how set apart, how unlike anything else in this world God is. But in the sight of all people, just any Joe Blow that could care less about God, guess what? They're going to honor God as well. Eventually, everybody honors God. It's up to us whether we're going to do it willingly or we're going to be forced to honor God. But listen to this. Another aspect of holiness is perfection, all right? So I'll never forget watching this little 12-year-old Asian girl in this huge concert hall pull out her violin, and she began to play better than I'd ever heard any violinist in my life, a 12-year-old girl. She was going to town all over the place, an orchestra behind her of professional musicians that have been playing for years, and she is going to town. And you know what happens in the middle of that time? A string breaks. One of the violin string breaks. She stops the, the, the guy that leads the orchestra, whatever his name is, or whatever he is, he stops. She calmly gets down, restrings her violin in front of all these hundreds of people, and she tunes her violin, totally oblivious or seemingly oblivious to everybody out in the crowd, and she picks right up from where she left off and finishes off with a bang. The girl was perfect. She was amazing, 12 years old. You know what that little girl? She was elite. In society, when she'd walk by and people knew who she was, they would get out of the way because she was amazingly perfect at the violin. You know what? Her perfection was this much to God's incredible perfection. Have you ever seen a beautiful person or a handsome person? I'll never forget, long time ago in L.A., we were driving down the street, and I looked. It was just before I had kids, so it was me and Tina. I looked, and there was two models with this beautiful dog and they were taking photos against the kind of the backdrop of the city wall there beautiful woman handsome man gorgeous dog and you know what you kind of stand back of one they look so good i don't want to get close to them because i'm gonna look so bad the perfection of beauty all right god's perfection is beyond measure he does everything right. The intricacies of our universe, he's crafted them and designed them and made them. The Bible talks about God being beautiful beyond all measure. You want to pursue beauty? 
You want to be shocked at perfection? Look at God. That's part of his holiness. Part of his holiness. We're shocked when an athlete performs almost flawlessly or best-selling novelist keeps cranking out novels and we say, how do they do it? They're perfect. They're amazing. Or, or some politician makes a run for the presidency and flawlessly gets elected. We're amazed. But God's perfection is infinitely better than any of that. Infinitely better. It's just a tiny taste of God's perfection. In fact, my parents had a friend, a missionary friend in Spain. He actually spoke here who said once he was in Spain, and Spain has a monarchy, and he was, I think it was in Madrid, and it's, for some reason he was in the place where the king of Spain was about to walk by as a procession or something. And this guy said, as the king, he was 6'4", six, 6'3", six, pretty tall, very amazing person, I guess. <laughs> as he walked by, you could feel the presence of the king just kind of come over you, and he said he got goosebumps. and was like, oh, man. That's how God's holiness is, but billions of times more. When the presence of God shows up, his holy perfection shows up, it affects you. It impacts you. In 2 Corinthians, there's another aspect of God's holiness. In 2 Corinthians 3, verses 16 through 18, it says, But whenever anyone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Now, somebody, I I think I overheard my dad saying this just today or maybe the other day. He said, uh, somebody's reading the Bible and they say, I just don't get it. What's the Bible is just I, I can't even understand. I don't know what it's saying. And somebody told that person, yeah, you're reading somebody else's mail. The Bible is God's love letter to his people, (laughs) to his people. All right. And so whenever we read the Bible, we have a veil over our mind. Have you ever done that? You read the Bible. You say, I don't get this. Well, it says when someone turns to the Lord, that veil is pulled away. You see, if you read the Bible half heartedly, yeah, you're not going to get squat out of it. But if you read the Bible because you're trying to turn to Jesus, the veil is going to be pulled away. Now, the Lord is the spirit and where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all, with unveiled faces, contemplate what? The glory of God. The glory of God. The Lord's glory. And are being transformed. What happens as you look at God's perfection, at His glory, at His holiness? What happens to you? You change. Can I tell you something? Stop looking down. You're going to get distressed. Stop looking inside, you're going to get depressed. And start looking up at God's glory, and you're going to start getting the victory in your life. Stop looking down, and start looking up to God's glory. You'll be transformed into the image with ever-increasing glory that comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. So you're going to get a text this week that's going to remind you, contemplate God's holiness, think about His glory, and you will begin to be transformed into the person of your wildest dreams. Wildest dreams. Well, a picture's worth a million words or a thousand words. Look at this in Revelations 1. We're going to go back to the very first chapter of Revelations. There again with John 
to hear the first part of his vision. He says, I, John, your brother and companion in the suffering, uh, in the suffering and the kingdom and patient endurance that are ours in Jesus was on the island of Patmos because of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. In other words, he'd gotten thrown into jail. And the way they dealt with the prisoners back then is what they did with in Australia way back when they would take their prisoners and put them on an island and bring a little boat or something with supplies and food, leave it off and leave the prisoners on the island. And that's where John was on the Lord's day. What's the Lord's day? Well, Sunday. The day when we worship, maybe it was Saturday back then, who knows, but it was the Lord's day. I, John, was in the spirit and I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet thinking about God's holiness here. Another picture. I turned around to see the voice that was speaking to me. And when I turned, I saw seven golden lampstands and among the lampstands was someone like the son of man. Now, Jesus when he was on earth, had told people all the time that he was the son of man and the son of God. So when John says, this guy looked like the son of man, he was saying he looked like Jesus a little bit. The natural resemblance, there was something there that resembled his memory of what Jesus looked like when he was in flesh, in flesh and blood. He said, I turned and saw this, this man that looked like the Son of Man dressed in a robe, reaching down to his feet with a, with a golden sash around his chest. The hair on his head was, was white like wool, as white as snow. His eyes were like blazing fire. We're talking about the holiness of God. Do you see it? Can you picture it? Can you imagine it? His feet were like bronze glowing in a furnace, and his voice was like the sound of rushing waters. Can you imagine the holiness of Jesus in at his right or in his right hand. He held seven stars and coming out of his mouth was a sharp double edged sword. His face was like the sun shining in all of its brilliance. And what did John do? Exactly what you would do. And I would do when I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. That's the holiness of God. That's the reality of the holiness of God. Then he placed his hand on me. The holiness of God touched John. And what did he say? He said, do not be afraid. That's the holiness of God speaking. We think the holiness of God says, back, you loser. <laughs> back, you reject. You're not good enough. But that's not the holiness of God. The very hand of Jesus touches him and says, don't be afraid. Wow. I am the first and the last. I'm the living one. I was dead, and now look, I am alive forever and ever. I hold the keys to death and Hades or the keys to hell, death and hell. God's holiness is real, and it's life-changing. Do you think John was ever the same after he came into contact with God's holiness? No, he was never the same again. He changed forever. And I'll tell you what, Tina and I, we were in a hospital room with this poor man who'd suffered incalculable misery. Kidney failure, amputation, all kinds of stuff. Wife left him. I've told you about him before. We're standing at his bed, and I'll never forget, in a hospital, okay? Here was the back wall, the, bed, the, the headboard of the, the hospital bed. Here's this man. His name was Brother Ebok. He was from Nigeria. I think Tina was standing right here. I was standing right here. We were praying for him, 
And I began to feel the presence of Jesus like I've never felt it in my entire life. And where Jesus was, was at the foot of the bed. Did I see him? No. But I sensed the might of his holiness and power in that room. Before then, I'd never experienced that. And since then, I've never experienced the presence of God so strong, so powerful as the presence of Jesus. Not for me, not for Tina, for the man who is laying on that sick bed. The power of God. God's holiness is real, and it shows up mightily when he decides to reveal it to us. But you know what? If you'll seek him, you will find God's holiness. You will find his presence for your life and in your life. But here's the last thing that I'll say. And it's a lengthy last thing. Don't think that don't take your don't put your shoes on quite yet. But here's the last main thing that I'll tell you. All right. Unfortunately, our sin offends God's holiness. It offends it. It offends him. Our sin offends God's holiness. In fact, our sin separates us completely and totally from God. Don't get distracted. I'm still here. I haven't left. All right? Totally. Our sin, little and big sins, completely and totally separate us from God's presence. Furthermore, our sin awakens God's holy anger and wrath. In fact, if you say, I'm saved, God saved me, Jesus saved me, I was saved back in 1991, or blah, 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 I was saved. What were you saved from? You and I, we've been saved from God's anger. That's what we've been saved from, from God's wrath. Because His, our sin awakens God's holy anger, not against you, against your sin anger fiery vengeful anger god hates sin and so should we we should despise god's we should despise our sin because it awakens god's anger look at these verses in isaiah 59 2 it says but your iniquities what are iniquities not just sin but like vexing sin like I can't get rid of this stupid habit I can't get rid of this addiction that's an iniquity it just keeps whirling in our lives we keep tripping over the same stupid thing over and over again that's an iniquity but your iniquity has made a separation between you and your God and your sins have hidden his face from you so that he does not hear that's what sin does sin is extremely serious with eternal consequences. Revelations 19.15 says, From his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations. And when I hear the word nations right now, I'm just so super hyper-focused on Russia's vicious attack on the Ukraine. It just ticks me. It, it infuriates me to think that they would do that to that, to that nation. And so when I read nations in the Bible, I think, yeah, God, you get them. All right? Strike down the nations, and he will rule them with an iron rod, and he will tre uh, tread the, the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God, the Almighty. God's holiness has a component of fury, of wrath. And when you give your heart to Jesus, you're saved 
from God's wrath. But I'll tell you this, I am thankful God gets mad, and you should as well. When a child is sexually abused, don't you glad that that makes God mad? Aren't you? Aren't you glad that that infuriates him? Whenever a wife is physically beaten by her spouse over and over again, aren't you glad that God gets mad? What if he didn't get mad? What if he just smirked when millions of child, children are aborted before they even have the chance to see the light of day? Aren't you glad that that infuriates God? Now, the problem is, is then we look at ourselves and we say, oh, shoot. <laughs> He's mad at my sin, too, though. He's mad when I lie. He's mad when I cheat. He's mad whenever I neglect if I'm neglectful in my marriage, it, it breaks my heart how many spouses neglect the person that they've married. Don't neglect them. Pour into them. Love them. Show them kindness, caring, love, attention, affection, and so goes with your children. God's mad when we're materialistic, when we dabble in the occult and we try to conjure up a, a, a dead loved one to get peace from them. Come on. That makes God angry from distraction, from lust, from sexual promiscuity. This makes God mad, including homosexuality. It makes God angry. It infuriates him. Not with a person, with a sin. And there's a reason for that. So it scares us. And so we look and we say, God, you said you're loving, but you're holy. And we start freaking out. But you know what? Some people say, God's love, but he's holy too. Give me a break. The two are one and the same. Those characteristics, God's holy love, God's loving holiness, they're not but. In fact, I love what DesiringGod.org describes God's wrath as God's wrath is his love in action against sin. God's holiness and God's love are just joined at the hip. <laughs> That's why he gave his son Jesus to spare us from God's wrath. So that all of God's wrath could be poured on his son. That's why Jesus, as he hung on the cross, he said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? God turned his back on his very own son because all the sin from the beginning of the creation to the very end was piled on Jesus. And God turned his back and laid all his wrath on his son so that you wouldn't have to experience the wrath of God. So that you could be saved from your sins and stop sinning. Isn't that awesome? In Romans 1, 18 and 19, says, The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all godlessness and wickedness of people. Not against people, of people. It's he's, he's revealed against their sin, against, against their misdemeanors, against their felonies, if you will. But not against the people themselves yet, who suppress the truth of God through their wickedness. Now in Romans 5, 8, don't worry, now, we, now you can put on your shoes. We're almost done. Romans 5.8, it says, But God shows his love for us that while we were still sinners, while we were still rebellious, while we were still God-haters and God-deniers, Jesus died for us so that you could be saved from the wrath of God's holiness. 
His holiness is what gave us the, his son Jesus. His very holiness said, I don't want you to experience the wrath of God. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to zoom in on your sin, put it on the cross, and you are going to be set free. Praise God. In Romans 5, 8, he says he showed us his love, that, uh, that Christ died for us while we were sinners. Isaiah 53, 6 says, all of us are like sheep. And if you look at sheep, I've, I've watched them on videos. I've watched them at rodeos. Sheep are the densest animal in the world. They just run, and they run in packs. One starts out, and the whole rest of them follow. One jumps off a cliff. Everybody else is going to jump off of a cliff with them. Sheep are dense, and that's why the Bible describes you and me as sheep, because we're dense. <laughs> we're goofy. We make bad choices over and over and over and over again because we're dumb. We are. But thanks be to God, we go astray, every one of us after our own way, but Lord, the Lord has laid on Jesus all of our stupidity, <laughs> all of our goofiness, all of our lack of wisdom, so that we don't have to suffer the wrath of God. Can you take a big sigh of relief and thank Jesus? First of all, that he gets angry. First of all, that he's holy but that he's made a way that we don't have to suffer the wrath of God. Now, I'll leave you with this thought. Here, this should terrify us, and we need to be terrified in some respects. But what if we walk away from that opportunity that he extends us and says, here's Jesus, you don't have to experience wrath, you're going to be okay, and we say, no, God, I still want to do my own thing. What if that happens? Well, in Romans 2, 5, it says, but because of your hard, impenitent heart, in other words, an unrepentant heart, you are storing up now wrath for yourself. And I would be negligent of pastors if I didn't tell you this. Now the wrath of God is becoming on you if you reject the sacrifice of Jesus in your life. Now it's not your sin. Now it's you. On the day of wrath when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. It's coming like a freight train down the, down the tracks. Would you get right with God now so that you can avoid the wrath of God on yourself? In he, Hebrews 10, verses 26 through 31, it says, For if we go on sinning deliberately, after receiving a knowledge of the truth, which, by the way, I'm sorry you're here this morning because you just heard the truth. <laughs> If you go on your own way after you've heard what you heard this morning, there's no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a fearful expectation of judgment and the fury of fire that will consume the adversaries of God. Anyone who has set aside the law of Moses died without mercy on the evidence of two or three witnesses. But how much worse the punishment do you think will be deserved by anyone who spurned the Son of God that's Jesus. And has profaned the blood of the covenant, that blood that was shed on the cross for us, by which he was sacrificed and outraged the spirit of grace. For we know him who said, vengeance is mine, I will repay. And you say, Steve, I don't know if I want to serve a God that gets angry. I don't want to. I don't know if I want to serve a God that says there's a hell you can serve whoever you want to. I'm just telling you the truth of who God is. I could tell you, look, let me describe Steve Norman for you, okay? He's 6'4". He's got a thick head of hair. He's broad, muscular. 
super fast, intelligent, highly successful, and he has 24 kids. And you say, oh, I like that picture. That's, that's good. Well, guess what? I just made it up. Fact of the matter is I'm 5'10". I'm bald, not very strong, not very fast. I'm okay intelligently, and I have four kids. You can make God up in your mind if you want, and you can say, I don't want a God that gets angry. Guess what? That's called idolatry. You've made up a, mi- a God in your mind. You've picked the good things that you want and left off the things that you don't like, and you've just made up your own God. That doesn't work because it's not reality. God is who God says he is. And we have to take him just as he is. He's holy. Sin causes him to be angry. And we have an option to escape the wrath of God through his son, Jesus Christ. Let's pray. 